The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello there, I'm Austin Bristow, and you're listening to On The List. For episode 35, on Tuesday, March 15th, I'm joined by the manager of the Pitcher List Daily Fantasy Sports section, Andrew Gould. Andrew, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Now, for those of you who are joining us here, perhaps for the first time, how the show works is I am joined by a writer from the Pitcher List staff, and we like to talk baseball, discuss what they've been working on recently, and we do a mailbag session at the end where we answer your questions. So you can send those questions directly to me on Twitter. I am at Bristowski, or better yet, you can hop into our PL Plus Discord server where I ask for questions every week before the show starts. Now, Andrew, where can the people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Andrew Gould 4 That's the number four. Very easy, straightforward, yeah. Gould, G-O-U-L-D. Correct. Gotta love it. Now... Uh, Andrew, you and I have both, were you another 3.0 addition to the staff? Because I know you and I have been here for about the same length, it seems like. I think it was 2018 I joined. Is that a, yeah, I think so it like, might have been 3.0. Yeah, just a, right at the same time as you got, because I came in December of 17, so it's about that same, yeah, same time. Like I dug it up, I found my first article, it was a mock draft review. I drafted uh, Rugnet Odor, Cody Allen, Gregory Polanco, and a spry young Nelson Cruz at like age. <laughs> that part doesn't change. Just always draft Nelson Cruz until he retires. I mean, Nelson Cruz hitting behind uh, Juan Soto this year actually sounds like a pretty good bet oh, for yeah. another decent season. I'll take it. Like. Another 30, 35 home runs at like pick 180 or whatever, just because no one wants the old DH. Give me him a time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I was sitting here wondering with the DH coming to the National League, and we're already way off on a tangent immediately into this podcast, but <laughs> with a DH coming to the National League, should we expand the standard? fantasy baseball roster to include two utility slots because i imagine it's going to become more common for some guys to not qualify at a certain position based on how often they play the field so what are your thoughts on something along those lines 
So my homeway uses two utility spots. It used to be three, actually. They put it down to two, so yeah, I think that's a good idea. It's something I never really thought about until you just brought it up now, but yeah, I do like two. I, especially since I always draft crews. <laughs> like, it'll give me more flexibility with that second spot. Because, like, I guess that's why people don't want to do it, is they don't want to be, like, locked down into that, but... Yeah, I yeah. I can't say I have taken Nelson Cruz since maybe like 2016. I think it was the last <laughs> time I drafted him or any really util only player. Because um, for me, I typically prefer to have, you know, a slot where I, if I have maybe I drafted a shortstop, but then I pick up a Trevor Story in his yeah. rookie season. I I can have both of them going at the same time sort of thing. Give myself at least the chance to have someone else in there. But yeah, it's, it should be interesting to see how the DH has a f- effects uh, National League teams this year because most National League teams are not built with a DH in mind. I mean, your team and mine both easily have a guy that slots into that DH role. I imagine Cano is going to be the Mets DH this I mean, year. The Mets have like six guys. Yeah, that's about Cano, true. <laughs> uh, JD, um, you know, Dom, maybe Alonzo could DH. Um, yeah, so they got plenty of options. Yeah, and I imagine, um, assuming that all legal troubles are behind him, Marcelo Zuna will be the everyday DH for Atlanta which, as I understand it, he's somehow not going to see any uh, suspension time, but that is a different discussion altogether. So, yeah, there are certainly some teams that can easily just say, oh, great, we already were trying to fit this guy in and didn't know how to, but now here we go. And I assume there are going to be some other teams, um, like the Pirates or something, where it's like, okay... You mean we have to have yeah. nine competent hitters now? Uh, more playing time for Colin Moran. I guess. Uh, I just looked it up. Uh, Daniel Vogelbach is uh, currently slotted in to be the Pirates DH. So it's not a That's... bad option. Uh, I mean, I suppose there's worse ones out there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean... Good platoon player, maybe. Yeah, I mean, honestly... The first, the top half of the uh, Pirates lineup isn't awful. Brian Hayes, Yoshi Tsutsugo, Brian Reynolds, Daniel Vogelbach is the first four. After that, it gets real rough real quick because <laughs> Anthony Alford is five. So, oh boy, that's saying that's not really a team where you can say, well, moves are coming. They'll uh, add. So, that's might just be it. That, yep. So, uh... Yep. So, I'm, uh, I'm definitely interested to see how the DH does affect things. But now that we've already had our first proper tangent, let's (laughs) actually, you know, get to know Andrew a bit. So I'll start you off with just a real open-ended question here. Just tell us a bit about yourself. So I started playing fantasy sports in like middle school, probably way before I had any idea what I was doing because I was a terrible, uncorrelated athlete growing up. I like to think I was an early money ball adapter because I was afraid to swing. So I just kind of <laughs> hoped that they would walk me. 
I just, you know, stood there, just took all my pitches. So I think I knew that playing baseball wasn't for me, but I kind of fell in love with the fantasy side of it. And I was just that nerd who in high school would just be on uh, sports message boards talking fantasy baseball and playing baseball mogul sim leagues. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, easier than making real friends, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Still got to work on that. Um, Yeah, then around college, which I'm terrified to say was a decade ago, I started writing for Bleach Report as an intern, and that led to more writing opportunities from baseball and pretty much everything. They had a brief partnership with DraftKings, so I tried my hand at that with DFS, playing it a little. And when I applied here for Pitcher List, I mentioned that, and it just so happens Nick was looking to expand and make a DFS section at the time, so here we are. Here we are indeed. Yeah, I was telling you before a show that I have so little... Uh, daily fantasy sports experience and i i was saying it's one of those weird things where you can be so engaged in just standard fantasy baseball or football or whatever it may happen to be without ever touching that sector so i'm when we get into that a little later i'm definitely i i feel like there's i'm gonna have some genuine questions come up and i think, feel like it could be a really fun discussion yeah and uh probably shouldn't admit this but i do still favor season-long fantasy baseball to DFS. I realize in football, I like DFS more than that, I guess, because, you know, with a weekly setup, it's a lot easier to prepare for that one slate, yep. you know, than baseball where it's, you know, one day, then next day you got to keep going, keep grinding. But, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, with baseball, mm-hmm. it is truly a daily yeah. thing where it uh, flips over every time. So mm-hmm. I think one of the allures mm-hmm. of fantasy baseball in general is that it is a marathon rather than a sprint and but i understand that if that's not your shtick daily fantasy baseball is an absolute godsend so yeah yeah. there's definitely a uh an understandable market not mine but (laughs) (laughs) that's all good a lot of different interests so absolutely now i mentioned it already you are a Mets fan. You told me you grew up in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, and then I could see tons of Mets gear on the wall behind you. So uh, yeah. how how did uh, how did that come to be? Because I feel like folks who are, you know, from the New York City area, it, it's it always intrigues me when you have two options. Mm-hmm. There's got to be some kind of story behind why you ended up with one over the other. And there's one clearly better option that I did not take. Um, (laughs) So I grew up in Brooklyn, late 90s, the heart of the Yankees dynasty. Pretty much everyone there was a Yankee fan. So I just had to be difficult. I had to be a contrarian. I guess I didn't like myself then either. So (laughs) I just thought, you know what? I'm going to sign me up for misery. (laughs) Give me the Mets. And I just related to them, maybe because they were the underdogs, you know, the sad saps or whatever. So pick them and the rest is history. And they have remained so ever since. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, I mean, now they going to have like a $600 million payroll. And apparently the Yankees are 
becoming the new Mets with uh, Isaiah Kenner Falafa as their starting shortstop. So, yeah, maybe title turn. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, turn of events. Mm. I, I did not see, I did not expect when Kenner Falafa left Texas that it was in a flip deal to get to the Yankees. That yeah. was like, it, it made sense for me. Like, okay. Yeah, kind of Falefa can be the new uh, Twins shortstop. Sure, that makes sense. He's, exactly. he's kind of that, you know, he's got some speed. He he might be able to slap the ball around a bit. It's a rare deal where both fans of both teams were confused. And I think there's more coming for each side. There's probably, right? You would uh, think, like, I, I was... I, and so I saw the deal where Kiner Falefa went to the Yankees. Gary Sanchez goes to the Twins. And I thought to myself, is he back to catching? But no, I mean, they've the Yankees have got a better catcher option because Falefa is not the best uh, defensive catcher. Never was. So he's much more at home at shortstop third base, which is seemingly where they're planning to play him as a starter uh no offense to kind of falefa by any means but um he's going from one of the worst teams in baseball where he was a pretty good player last year uh 271 batting average uh 20 stolen bases 25 doubles nothing that's not bad at all yeah but that's it, it is a 85 WRC plus because he has basically no power. He hit eight home runs. Uh, he only walks about a 4% clip. So his on base skills aren't ideal. 312 on base. It was just a strange deal for them to go out and get this guy. I understand getting Sanchez out of New York. His, Yankees career has been kind of a mess. So it, that what that part didn't surprise me. It was just the return really that was not, uh, not what well, I expected. I'm sure every single person who has called into a New York radio show is loving that Sanchez is gone because he just became public enemy number one. It's, yeah. uh, it's probably telling that as a Mets fan, I steered the conversation into the Yankees. Like, I think that kind of epitomizes their mindset. <laughs> we have real, like, little brother syndrome. I, yeah, yeah, I get that. Uh, I imagine Higashioka takes over as the primary catcher. He's also not the best offensive uh, player there. 181 batting average last year with a 28% K rate, but he did actually in only 67 games hit more homers than kind of Falefa did in how many did he played last year? 158 kind of Falefa hit eight and Higgy hit 10. Yeah. There's some interesting stat cast numbers for Higgy. If you're in like a 50 team to catcher league, but I don't know. I still wouldn't be surprised if there's like another catcher coming. Agreed. And I think their other option is someone who I've never heard of here. Uh, ben Rorvet. I hope they, I'm pronouncing I think they got correctly. him back in the trade too. Perhaps. It sounds like he's more yes. like a depth uh, defense piece, but I'm not 
enough of a prospect guy to go that deep and yeah. no names like that. 23-year-old catching prospect. Uh, last year got a cup of coffee uh, at the big league level and didn't really do much of note, didn't get enough playing time to really do anything per se. Uh, in AAA last year, in 136 games, he hit 254, 324, 426 slash line, uh, five homers. So it doesn't seem like, like I said, not much of a offensive boon by any means. No pun intended. Um, it, yeah, I would be, I would not be surprised to see the Yankees go out and try to get some other catcher, whether it be before the season starts or. Even I think we can expect some trades shortly into the season with the work stoppage and everything. I think a lot of these teams are still trying to put their teams together, and a lot of that's going to be done on the fly in uh, April, I think. Yeah, we might leave this podcast recording and see that there's like seven transactions that oh, happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If I see any come across, we'll just, we'll just do a breaking news sort of thing. It'll be great. Now, as far as, you know, growing up a Mets fan, uh, has anyone stuck out to you in particular as your favorite player throughout the years? Might be the boring answer, but I'll go with David Wright. I feel like it's kind of the perfect embodiment of the Mets that their best player of my lifetime, at least, had his career cut way too soon. And... Honestly, I feel like my appreciation for, for him has grown more because of it. Because you saw how much he loves the game and how badly it was clearly killing him that he couldn't play. And just, yeah, seeing that, I really felt for him. And I feel like the way, the way his career ended, people don't fully appreciate the peak and how good he was at his best. Like, he would have been 2007 MVP if the Mets didn't blow it. That's another story, another reason I feel for him because his team always blew for him too. But yeah, like there is an alternate timeline out there. Like most of Mets fandom is living in the darkest timeline, but there's like a brighter one somewhere where like he has multiple rings, he stayed healthy, and he's like, he's our Derek Jeter. Yeah. I wish that was the case, but. Yeah, I mean. That 2007 season was incredible. Um, 711 plate appearances, first off, is wild. But in in that time, 30 homers, 42 doubles, 107 RBI, 113 runs, 34 stolen bases. I think people really forget that he he had multiple 20-plus steal seasons. He was the first round pick in his heyday. Absolutely, yeah. That was by far his best season. Uh, to top it off with a slash line of 325, 416, 546. So that was just absolutely his best. He had a, I mean, from 2005 to 2009, that five year stretch, he yeah. was one of the best third basemen in the league and would have been the best third baseman in the NL East were it not for a certain Larry. Oh, uh, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as a Braves Never fan, heard of him. I, I gotta. <laughs> oh man, it's uh, yeah. He, David Wright, always seemed like such a class act. Um, 
and it was truly sad to see his career uh, so thoroughly derailed and cut short as it was. It was not fair to him as a as a player and as a really an icon to Mm. the city of New York. Yeah, really, really wish they got that 2015 rank for him at least because that could have you know, been something to end on a brighter note, but yeah. Oh yeah. And I'd say right now, my favorite player is Alonzo. So I'm just relieved that he's okay. Cause that car accident looked like that was scary. In those pictures of the crash and the fact that he walked away from it fine is like, it's yeah, definitely I, a relief. I saw that. I saw yeah. the headline of his, you know, Alonzo uh, Rolls car is basically fine. Yeah. It... And then I was like, wow, that how, how? I mean, I've had friends that have like mm. rolled a car before and they, they it lands on its wheels and they they walk away fine. That wreckage looks terrifying. Yeah. I mean, the the back axle is basically removed from the car somehow. It's on its side. All the windows are completely busted. I no idea how he is okay. I mean, like if I got for, rear-ended, I'd probably need a couple of weeks. So. Yeah, I mean, good on Ford for making such a sturdy <laughs> truck, I guess. I mean, this is probably weird, like cynical thing to say, but just the way everything goes for a Mets fan, like, like it's not. It's not in line with their history for a guy to get in a car crash and walk out unscathed. Yeah. Just, it's just, um, it's I mean, just um, not the Mets way. But uh, yeah, it was, that was definitely a scary thing. We are <clears throat> glad to see that Pete is okay. And as much as I personally hate when our pitchers <laughs> have to face him, I do like him as a player quite a bit. And I look forward to seeing what he'll be up to this season i think he could be a a very good uh very very productive player this year where's he going in drafts at the moment actually i'm gonna pull up fantasy pros and see what his adp is right now because i haven't actually drafted i haven't done any drafts this year as i assume many of our listeners haven't as well i know a lot of us have been trying to wait and see yeah. what the deal is with i've the... done a couple and you're probably better off waiting with all the entry news coming up yeah i mean with uh we just learned that tatis is going yeah. to be out for three months after what was it a wrist uh he broke his yeah, wrist, along his lines. wrist so that is not great so if you had no. if you had drafted prior to now I feel for you if Tatis was your first round pick. He was going 1-1 a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, so, one or two, pretty much. Yeah, that, that is absolutely brutal. Um, so I'm luckily, I have not had any drafts thus far. Uh, it looks like Pete Alonzo is going 46th overall, so right around the third round, uh, third, fourth round there. Uh, not too many first basemen going before him. He is the, uh, if you count Austin Riley, he is the fifth uh, first baseman, though I believe Riley is likely third base only in a lot of leagues. So the only other ones ahead of him are 
Vlad Guerrero, Freddie Freeman, the new Atlanta Braves uh, first baseman, Matt Olson, and then Pete Alonso. Yeah, how do you feel about that all uh, about Freeman and Olson? I, I've t- been talking about it a lot with some of my Braves friends, uh, with my dad, who's a huge Braves fan, of course. I so for just a few days ago, just yesterday, last week, last couple days, uh, the Braves traded for Matt Olson, uh, and then today signed him to an eight-year extension. I personally would have preferred that they had signed Freddie Freeman to a deal that was worth way more than what they paid Matt Olson. Just because Freeman is my favorite player. I would love for him to play his whole career in Atlanta. That would be great for me as a fan. That would would just have been in my mind preferable. However, if we are, if we accept the scenario where, Freddie isn't coming back that like we accept that as a fact. I think this is the next best option. You take a first baseman who is under 30, one of the best first basemen under 30, um, who has already proven himself as a massive power bat and a very productive uh, hitter, a Georgia born kid that, I mean, the Atlanta Braves love to bring in Georgia guys. They just signed Colin <laughs> yeah. McHugh as well today. So that was awesome. Um, former Met. Another former Met. Yeah. So I think it makes, it makes sense from the team standpoint, from a business standpoint, if you can't get Freddie, go get another good player, another productive piece to replace him in the lineup because we just won the world series without our best player. Ronald Acuna was not involved in the playoffs at all. And so I think the Braves are still very much a contender for another World Series run this year. And so if they had gone out and just gotten some someone to fill in at first base, I think that I would have been very disappointed had they not gotten Freddie and not made a big splash otherwise to fill his spot. However, bringing in someone like Matt Olson, who I am a big fan of, and I was before this trade, bringing in Olson in order to fill in that spot, I think is the best way to go if you're not going to re-sign your cornerstone. It's a fair, rational, nuanced take. I also couldn't blame any Atlanta fans for being really upset over losing a franchise icon. Especially when you have Acuna and Albies on such team-friendly deals, but I mean, yeah, from a pure, like, rational business perspective, it does make sense, you know, to get the younger first baseman and get him to another pretty team-friendly extension, it seems. Yeah, I mean... On the open market, he would have got a lot more. The deal is wild. Uh, (laughs) the, The running gag today is... How is Anthopolis getting all of these players yeah. to sign team-friendly deals? Because, I mean, the Acuna and Albies deals are ridiculous. Yeah, I, right. As a Braves fan, I feel a little bad because they're <laughs> signing for so much lower than what they would get on the open market. I think the Olsen deal is fairer. 
Um, he's not been the most consistent player. Let's not forget that in the 2020 season, he batted 195. So that 2020 count though. uh, Barely. (laughs) I mean, in 2018, he batted 247. So that's also not great. And he's consistently been a guy that has struck out a lot. I know he just had the, a career year. So hopefully what we saw from 2021, Matt Olson with 39 homers, uh, a slash line of 271, 371, 540 is what we get going forward. I mean, the improvement we saw in his strikeout rate is insane. Um, from 2019 and 2020, he went from 25% and 31%. And then in 2021, got it all the way down to 17%, which is just impressive with as big of a guy as he is and the funky way that he uh, sets up in the box, holding the bat like all the way out over the plate. I'm, he, he seems like a guy that should swing and miss a lot, but He's somehow been able to really improve that in the past year. So hopefully that it continues and the Braves go on to uh, beat your Mets and yeah. <laughs> and get Plus. another uh, get another NL East title. That'd be great for me. I mean, I think it's definitely they're two, the two favorites in the division. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I can I, never trust the Mets. I don't see the Nationals doing much of anything this year. Um, the Phillies are the Phillies. Yeah. I feel like the Phillies and the Mets have kind of been in, in lockstep for the past couple of years where each of them are greatly underperforming what their team should be doing on paper. They've outmets the Mets at times for sure. But it's they true. also have a championship more recently. So That is also true. Yeah. And then, honestly... Talking as another analyst guy here, are you also a little scared of what the Marlins pitching staff is looking like lately? That's they definitely got a good pitching staff. I'd be more scared if they were willing to spend any money on hitting to supplement it. Like if they went out for Cassianos, like Jeter apparently wanted, like they could have become a slot scarier. But yeah, that's a that's a fun run rotation for a while. I mean, not fun for us, but you know, for yeah. them. Marlins fans should be very excited about Sandy Alcantara, Trevor Rogers, Pablo Lopez, Eliezer Hernandez, Jesus Lazardo, and soon Sixto Sanchez. The oldest guy I mentioned is Alcantara, who's 26. That has been incredibly durable. Yeah. So give Steph more last year. Yeah, that's... That's wild. So... A lot of those guys are only a couple years into their big league career as well, which keeps them under team control for a while, even if the team hasn't uh, shown much propensity to re-sign players in recent years. That's They are set for a bit. If they can get any kind of hitting going, then it, it could be an interesting, uh, interesting team to contend with. Yeah, there's, it could be sneaky. Absolutely. I, I would love to see them go get just a few pieces for their hitting. Because, I mean, yeah, just... Miami deserves a little bit of something. They've been <laughs> so bad for so long. Yeah, they made the playoffs technically. Very technically. If you count it. The weird 2020 yeah. playoffs. We had like a losing record, I think. But, or yeah, maybe I mean, 
with the expanded playoffs, we might see more of that going on too. So yeah, I was happy to see the uh, Mariners go out and make some deals. Go get uh, Jesse Winker and uh, Eugenio Suarez. I mean, they, the Mariners were so close to a playoff spot this last year. Now that the now that we're going to have even more teams involved. I think it's time for them to go for it, basically. They've got Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick ready to go. This Let's could not talk a, about Kelnick. Oh, man. Uh, this could be a very uh, fun uh, Seattle team. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I would still like to see them even get like one more like one more hitter or something else to really go for it. Because, yeah, like especially if Julio is ready and comes up this year and Kelnick does what we think he can do. Like that's a really interesting team. Yeah, I that, mean that might be like my AL team that I'd kind of like to see get through. Agreed. Uh, grabbing Robbie Ray to start the off season was a big get for them. Hopefully for them, he can continue his impressive work that he had last year. Because uh, the pitching staff is still a little suspect. Robbie Ray, Marco Gonzalez, Chris Flexen, Logan Gilbert, Matt Brash. Not the best starting staff. The relief core is pretty good, actually. Yeah. Second Ryder and Sewald, Diego Castillo. <laughs> they traded uh, their closer to the Mets for the best prospect in baseball. And then they took a cast off from the Mets bullpen and turned into a into a star reliever. And Sewald, that's... Yeah, that's how it goes. Mets are going to met. Yep. I I feel like I should let you know. Uh, recently, I joined a uh, another Dynasty League. So I'm in now two Dynasty Leagues. Um, I don't really know how this came to be, but the name of the league is Paul Suwald's Dynasty League. <laughs> and the picture we use... For our league logo is uh, Suwald's uh, Mets um, picture, oh, oh, which God. is just funny. It's just are, a good bit. Are there are these Mariner fans, Met fans, or just random? Uh, so, Mike Michael Ahedo got us all together from Twitter, okay. and yeah, he's a Mariners. He's he's a Mariners guy. So I don't actually know the the like total team makeup. I know it's a, just a bunch of randos for the most part from Twitter. And we, during lockdown, did our startup draft and we're going from there. Nice. Gave me some reason to care about baseball at that time. But yeah, Mariners yeah. should be a very good offensive team. Adam Frazier, Mitch Hanniger, Jesse Winkers as the first four. So... That's... I like Yancey's uh, light-up card better if you saw that tweet. was that? Uh, Yancey did, uh, tweeted out like a fake light-up card, like what it would look like, and it was intentionally like the worst light-up you can think of. Like with Winker <laughs> batting ninth, the uh, Frazier cleanup. And so many people in the comments took it seriously. Yancey <laughs> is a gem. When, uh, when the initial... Uh, trade for Matt Olson came through and I was very upset and very, very just sad that we weren't going to be re-signing Freddie. Um, I tweeted something along the lines of win the world series and quote, don't make a strong push end quote for your 
for your team cornerstone. Mm-hmm. That I feel like a Rays fan. And I tagged <laughs> I tagged Yancey and he uh yeah. he said Rays don't win World Series. <laughs> <laughs> That's they they make it though. They make they it. They get just close enough to tease you. Just tantalizing enough. Yeah. Well, we've gone on plenty of tangents. I don't yeah. even know how we got to all those. We were talking right. about Pete Alonzo for a while, and we somehow got to, <laughs> you know, the off season's been weird. Seattle's high up. Uh, yeah, exactly. So let's go back, get back to kind of what the notes say we're supposed to talk about uh, here. Notes Tell me about fun. your fantasy baseball career. Um, how many leagues do you play in? What's your favorite type, et cetera, et cetera? So the answer to how many leagues is too many. I think oh, no. right now I'm around 10, and that was actually cutting back a league or two. Um, so I have my home league that I've done since like I joined in high school, I think, with my dad and my cousin and uncle learning it. The first time I won was with Ryan Howard, I believe, is MEP here. Um, so I'm in TGFBI. I have the, the turf. The, um, like New York, Jersey, Pennsylvania draft part of like the Earth League coming up in next weekend. So I'm excited for that. Very nice. I uh, I'm in five dynasty leagues. Oh, buddy. And um, I'm 99% sure one of them randomly has Eno Saris in it. And just like a, not even an industry league. It was like it took me a long time to piece this together. But like just like the fact that he had Eno in like his like Yahoo name and like i finally figured it out when he offered me um my you know he offered me patrick corbin for michael fulmer and on that day i read an article of his like uh talking up uh, fulmer and like saying to sell corbin based on uh like recent <laughs> philosophy trends and yeah. i still accepted the trade at it like that was before corbin's break washington breakout actually but that's awesome yeah i don't know uh how that came to be like i think i joined that like randomly from a message board like i knew someone from that league i knew from a other dynasty league but that's so good yeah there's a mix of roto and head-to-head but i gotta admit i'm a bit of a roto snob i prefer i mean i get the popularity of head-to-head because i've been in roto leagues where you know it's early august and someone's running away with it but i don't know i kind of like that 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 if you know you're dominant if you have the best team like congrats you deserve it fair enough but, yeah i know you know the big draw from for roto i understand is that the best team will win that is just how roto is going to turn out no matter what the issue with roto for me and i i've played one roto league ever and i did not oh, really enjoy wow. myself uh okay. the issue with roto for me is it's basically like watching a spreadsheet fill itself out that's yeah that's fair i guess that's <laughs> kind of what like there's just there's yeah. not a ton of like excitement to it um i don't i mm. streaming is not as a valuable of a strategy so there's not a lot of like day-to-day week-to-week things you can do to really affect your chances per se um like i i know this is an unpopular opinion but i'm even of the opinion that uh in head-to-head categories leagues uh i want one win for the for the week instead of 
10 separate wins that you could get. If I win five to four to one, I want that to count just as much as if I win 10 zero. See, like that's what our PL staff leagues do. I got to admit, I hate that because at that point you're just playing football. (laughs) You just made it fantasy football and that kind of, I guess like I'm more, maybe I'm more of a nerd and I like the spreadsheet like element of like playing around with numbers and say like, okay, like I got steals to spare. So maybe I can trade one of those guys for a power hitter. But, uh, you know, I'm a little light on strikeouts. I got to, you know, add more, be more aggressive with two star pitchers or streamers, depending on the scoring Fair the format. That makes but, sense. Yeah. I do have a mix. Yeah. I, I definitely understand, uh, the, the pushback on one win leagues. Um, for example, uh, last year in the Legacy League, the PL Staff Legacy League, I, for the first time, we had one of our data guys, J.R. Keynes, who I'm going to have to get on the pod here soon. He's He seems great. Uh, he was keeping track of all of the stats from all the staff leagues, which is super cool to keep up with week to week mm-hmm. and compare like how your team is doing compared to everyone's uh, other team in all the staff leagues, not just to your own league. Um, so it's, it, my team was consistently in like the top 10 of all of the staff leagues among like the 80 teams, which I was like, man, this is awesome. I love my team. And this, I, this is so fun. Uh, I think I finished just above 500 and I yeah. barely squeaked into a playoff spot. It's, it was, it was one of those things where the, ent- the parody of the league last year, uh, there were two guys running away with it. Of course it was, uh, Metzlar and Graham, and then two guys who were really not doing well, and then the rest of everyone else was right around five hundred. It was wild. Yeah, maybe also like I'm more likely to lose steam as the season goes along. So like I don't, like I don't want it to all be on the line in September. Yeah, I like, get it. It's I I personally like the excitement of. And a little bit of the randomness of head to head more. Most of my, most, all, all of my leagues are head to head nowadays. Um, one points league, and then I guess I'm in five, no, two points leagues, and three, uh, three different headache categories. So, yeah, it's just everyone's got their own preferences. And I understand that, you know, Roto is definitely more predictable and there's there it does have its own strategies that you can use it's just it's not anything that i have uh, particularly enjoyed mm-hmm. now i mentioned to you you and i came on around the same time if in uh pitcher list so has there in your time here has there been a particular article or project you've worked on that you are notably proud of so we already touched on my resentment of the yankees so um, in 2020, like early in the pandemic stages, when everything shut down, it was like the first time in years where I didn't have recurring articles to write for anything. And just kind of, I felt lost writing, but also kind of free to like, oh, what do I actually want to write? And like with the Mila baseball series we had going, I decided to write an article about why I no longer hate the Yankees. And it was fun because 
I realize, you know, when you're writing about DFS picks or betting picks or like waiver wire calls, there's like a set, you know, structure and a format to what you're writing, right? Sure. But, you know, for something like this, it's a lot more open-ended. Like I was writing with a blank slate to say, okay, how do I want to do this? Like, how do I introduce this? What are, what sections are I going to do? How do I piece everything together for this thesis to make sense? And it was more personal than other stories I've written, so... I really enjoyed that ride experience. I dug up something I wrote in like eighth grade about like Haiti Derek Jeter and put that in the article. That's awesome. And I guess another reason I liked it is afterwards, um, like my old best friend from elementary school, like I hadn't spoken to in like well over a decade, like reached out. He's the Yankees fan from Brooklyn. Like he reached out saying like he read it and liked it. So yeah, I... Like it was a one small bright spot in a otherwise bleak time, I guess. Oh yeah, I mean, it was a weird time to be a sports writer in 2020. Yeah. That was that was it's strange, just sure. all around. It was a weird time to be literally anything that year. That is also true. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's still weird for me. I'm still adjusting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, life is life is not normal yet. As much as we all wish it would be and try to pretend it is sometimes. I don't think we are in the normal times quite yet. But in those semi-normal times, what is it that you like to do outside the baseball realm? So to be fair, in normal times, I also just kind of sat at home and, you know, stay away from everyone and everything. So <laughs> not much change. Um, let's say over the years, I've become a lot more of a reader. Like in school, the idea of summer reading was ridiculous. Like, oh my God, I had to read two books in two months. Now it's just like every two weeks, I go to the library and pick up a couple books to read, just like whatever's there, like whatever just catches my eye. So, what have you been reading lately? Um, so I, um, I don't know if you saw the HBO Max series, but after watching that, I read Station Eleven and I heard both, good things about it. Yeah, that was because of the subject matter. It's about a pandemic. It was, like it took me a while to watch it, but then I kept hearing good things, so I watched it and it was just blown away by it. So I read the book, and the book is also great, but it's like the rare case where I think a show took a great book and like perfected it. Oh, that's awesome! So I've yeah. only seen that one other time in uh, my favorite movie of all time, Spectacular. Now uh, I haven't seen the or. It- it's a cute little uh, kind of indie film with uh, Miles Teller and Shailene Woodley. It's super Oh, good. okay. I know what you're talking about, but I haven't seen it. Would recommend. <laughs> yeah. I think it used to be on Netflix. It might still be. I'm not sure. <laughs> Anything else in- interesting that, you, that you've particularly enjoyed reading recently? Um, so I, let's see. Like, I've been reading a lot of thrillers, like, over the past couple years that have bored them, but I'm blanking on a specific one to mention. Um, I read uh, Carmelo Anthony's memoir, which was a pretty, you know, solid read. Nice. So, yeah, uh, but I guess I'm looking for the next thing. Very good. I know I've been uh, working my way through the uh, Witcher books, which are a lot of fun. I, I really like the 
style of writing of I, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that man's name. I, I know I will get that wrong, but everyone knows the Witcher. It's a brilliantly written series. Uh, really, I think it that is a case where the show and the games are not as good as the books. They are the books have so much extra detail and uh and just are so thorough in the way that he threads different plot points together it's it's fascinating that's usually how it seems to go yeah like that that's about right that's about right well i think at this point we're going to go ahead and take a quick break here we'll be right back and we're going to talk all about daily fantasy sports catch you in a moment Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all righty. So, Andrew, you are the manager of our DFS section, our daily fantasy sports. Uh, as I've already mentioned, I know so very little about daily fantasy sports. I have never played on FanDuel or DraftKings or anything like that. Um, I've seen all the ads and everything. And sure you have. <laughs> and I, I have a basic understanding of how it works but could you just give give me and anyone else who really has never approached this realm of fantasy sports could you give me like a basic rundown of what dfs entails in the baseball world and why you think i should play all right so on any given day as long as there's baseball going on those sites are gonna have a wide array of contests to join depending on your risk tolerance. It could just be like a $1 one or a $100 one. There's different, all different sizes. Like some might just be like with 12 people. Some might be with like 12,000, like, you know, bigger tournaments. And so essentially it works like a salary cap game where you get a fixed income to spend on, to build a lineup. And um, so DraftKings, you would take two pitchers, FanDuel one. That's kind of like the main line of difference on the two sites. And yeah, you pick your team based on certain price for each one. And I mean, of course, like anyone else in the contest can also pick those same players. So that also factors into the strategy. If, you know, if Jacob deGrom is facing the Pirates, you know, a lot of people are probably going to also play Jacob deGrom. But do you want to play him anyway? Because you know he's probably gonna beat up the pirates, or do you want to, you know, pick, you know, differ from the pack and do something else? Which, depending on the contest you enter, would affect the strategy. 
Um, yeah, so they're definitely all different types of formats. What I typically play are the lower risk, what they're called cash contests, or one of them is a 50-50, which would be, say there's, it's a $5 contest with 100 people. Anyone who finishes from first to 50 would uh, win $9 on that, that $5 typically, even if whether you're first or you're 50th, just if you're in that top half, you win. Or another version of that is a double up where if you, those, you enter that same $5, you would win $10 if you're in the top like 40 or something because that's how the sites get their rate because, you know, sure. the house always wins just like a casino. Um, yeah, so in terms of why you should play it, well, you said you haven't drafted yet, but to anyone who has drafted and did pick Fernando Tatis already, that's why you should play it. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure at some, at some point of the season, probably before opening day, I pretty much can guarantee that your team is going to have injuries and other setbacks and... You know, maybe you're for a Roto League, you're out of it in July or August, or maybe in a head-to-head league, you're just in a bad week and you don't want to think about that. Well, DFS is a clean slate, fresh start, whatever you want it. Um, And also, I think uh, playing DFS can make you a better season-long player and vice versa because it keeps you more aware of what's going on, who's hot, who's cold, you know, what are some trends going on, batting orders. Which uh, were the better ballparks in terms of you know hitter friendly and pitcher friendly, and all? I'm not as great as others as keeping up with stuff like you know wind factors and weather, but you know some people can get really granular, and that that will help you no matter what type of fantasy you're playing. So absolutely, yeah. Okay, it's definitely different, and you kind of need to go in with it with a different mindset entirely. Unless you're, you know, playing points leagues, it's a little closer parallel, but that's the biggest difference for me because it all, like the scoring is points-based, you know, format. Okay, so that that's basically lined up with a lot of my, you know, preconceived notions of what I understood it to be. Um, So do you have a personal preference between... Uh, either FanDuel, DraftKings. Are there, I think those are really the two players. There's not really other big players in the moment, right? Those are those are definitely the two most popular ones at the moment. Um, you know, it, I would say I have a major preference. To be honest, I would think I think I've noticed is FanDuel typically you find better hitting bargains with like platoon players, you know, who are, you know, a lefty facing a good righty, like a weak righty, like is who doesn't play against lefties is maybe cheaper that day than he should be. Hmm. Or just maybe like a hot player that they're slower to like adjust the price to, but you know, I legitimately would not have thought that there were differences in prices between the two sites. That's what that makes sense. Of yeah, course. it's definitely the, cause they're, okay, they're so, going out there. So a lot of times you'll play both because you might have 
you might look at one day on Fangra or FanDuel, not Fangraphs, FanDuel, yeah. and say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we we've got you know Max Freed going for this price, but over here I can get a cheaper Freed, so I can build a better lineup, sort of thing like that. Yeah, and uh, okay, I would say if you are playing both, maybe like as you're building one lineup, you're saying, oh wow. Like, this guy who's so expensive on FanDuel is really cheap on DraftKings. Like, maybe he's actually a good bargain here. Like, I wouldn't have thought about that otherwise, but, like, you know, Max Free is one of the most expensive pitchers on FanDuel, and yet he's really cheap on DraftKings, so this might be a good value. Huh. Yeah, like I said, that's not something that I had really considered. And so what is it that, uh, what kind of content is pitcher list putting out to help not not just guys like myself but typical dfs players so we have daily re daily recommendations for you which um were really kind of you know expanded last year to you know just go beyond like okay play him him and him to like okay here are the here are the games going on here you know here are the pitching matchups here a whole bunch of like the best hitting values here are the best stacks of the day because that's another big proponent of DFS is uh, stacking to say okay uh, the Yankees are playing a really weak righty on the Orioles so I mm. want all the I want all the Yankees in my lineup because they're gonna destroy him which I mean that might be too obvious of a one so maybe you want a different stack maybe you want the Orioles stack instead but yeah so you definitely get a lot of valuable information in our daily articles and I guess I don't really can't really reveal too much yet about what's coming ahead but there should be a lot more to for uh readers and also PL plus members that you want to stay nice. tuned for love that tease yeah. keep your eyes peeled folks that's awesome <laughs> so we did when uh, I asked for questions from our PL Plus supporters and staff, uh, we did get quite a few that were DFS specific. So I'm going to do a little jumping ahead to some of these questions that we got there. Uh, Miles Nelson, our staff general manager, wanted to know, uh, what are your thoughts on how DFS has changed over the years? You know, with the explosion of DFS platforms, any changes to the game itself or how the increased user base over the years has changed things as well. Now, you said you've been playing fantasy baseball generally since you were in high school. How long have you been doing daily fantasy stuff? Definitely not as long because, well, one, it didn't exist that long. True. But I wasn't, well, I wasn't like the first early adapter to it, but... um. Trying to think, because if I joined here 2018, I was playing before that, but so maybe like five or so years. But sure, like it's still like it's still a learning curve, and like is you still always have to adjust. And I will be the first to admit I am no expert. I mostly just play in like five ten dollar contests for fun, more than you know try to win big tournaments. Um, I would say probably the biggest change is. Well, one, there's just more of everything. There's more contests. There's bigger contests. And there's there's just like a variety of options that, you know, if there's, you see something you don't like, 
you're gonna find something else. Maybe you like smaller player pools. I've noticed that I like single entry contests more because what that means is you can only enter one lineup per account. So there's not like a shark, you know, putting it with like 30 lineups in the same contest. And I would, I would also say the competition level is probably steeper because a lot more people are on it. A lot more people know what they're doing. So if you just like go in blind and just try to wing it, it might be a little more difficult than it would have been five years ago when DFS was more of a new phenomenon. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I imagine that, you know, like five, $10 ones aren't as bad as the big tournaments per se. Um, I saw a report where um, a lot of the guys who do the big tournaments have like super complex algorithms, yeah. spreadsheets, formulas, etc. that this is like their job basically. And so I imagine that if you're staying more in the realm of those five to 10, you have a better shot of every now and then getting a decent little payout. Yeah. Like I am not retiring off my winnings, but <laughs> I also haven't lost money doing it. So I oh boy. take that I feel as a like win. That in and of itself is a pretty decent, like statement. And you know, just the fact that you are consistent enough to, not be losing money i honestly that is impressive to me well at first maybe i did but uh <laughs> i also you know i've been trying to slowly dipping my waters in the betting a bit more and you know we've also done that at picture list we have betting content too and i've written for that um so uh i got a nice win last year when bryce harper won mvp <laughs> That was I like my to explain kind of the difference there. Are you talk, just talking like betting as far as just generally like as far as like, like the Vegas stuff? Yeah, just like betting okay. on a game or you know, prop bets or future bets, like you know, gotcha. award winners and gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. I yeah, I do have a pretty decent understanding of that. Yeah. That makes more sense. Okay. Callan Elsleger, another of our staff members here, fan of the show. Uh he was asking, what is your one piece of advice you would offer to someone trying to get more into DFS this season? I would say, like, start small. Start at your comfort comfort level. Um, like, don't let yourself get over-intimidated. Like, when you see someone on Twitter post that, like, a screenshot of, uh, like, $200, $100 prize they won, like, from finishing first. Like, that's not the norm. That's incredibly difficult to do so. Don't get you know discouraged if you're not instantly rich, which is an unlikely scenario, honestly, unless you are very, very good at it. So yeah, don't don't spend what you're not comfortable losing. So that's a great yeah, great like, piece of advice just yeah. in general. If that means just like doing two dollar contests for fun, like yeah, like try that and see how that goes and learn along the way but absolutely yeah that's i think that has generally been my biggest reason that i haven't gotten into it is that you know i haven't had the luxury of you know being able to say yeah i'll just i'll just throw 10 bucks yeah. here or there so mm -hmm. i might actually try some uh, vfs out this year because it, it is like you said you you've kind of sold me on it on you know 
whereas regular fantasy is a marathon this is very much just a one day sprint sort of thing there's i can understand kind of the value of it and you know winning money is fun yeah make it rain that's <laughs> exactly that's... my one piece of advice would be to check out the picture list dfs content every day uh, to make sure you got the best advice that you can get See, that was what I was supposed to say, and I messed that up, so you, uh, you it's picked okay. that up no, for me. You, you gave actual good advice. Mm. I just did the company man uh, pitch thing there. We got both done, and both yeah. were valuable. Neither is more valuable than the other, and I'm glad both happened. But yeah, I think yours was the... <laughs> Definitely uh, check out our daily content. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Scott Chu, one of my favorite humans is asking uh two things He's asking how has the focus of style of writing about dfs changed over the years you like i said you've now been here doing dfs stuff for four years now man we are getting old um uh, trust me i know yeah so how how has your approach changed basically uh, and he was also wanting to know are you aware you are by far the nicest of all of the <laughs> pitchless managers I, I mean, I don't think that's true, and if it is, then there must be a low bar to clear. So, it's well, as I mentioned, over the past couple of years, I've been writing about betting more, and that's definitely been the toughest transition for me, because I'm definitely, I'm still learning on the betting side, and hadn't written about it really at all until we started introducing stuff over at Picture List. Um, it's definitely a different animal than dfs there are some you know parallels in the venn diagram but it's i mean it's tough because it you know as you say you can't predict baseball and it's really hard to you know try to predict who will win a baseball game especially when so much changes i think that's kind of the hardest part about dfs or betting is adapting on the fly and you know like Maybe as you're writing an article, you realize a pitcher is getting scratched or there's a new probable one listed than there was 10 minutes ago. Um, so I think that's kind of the biggest thing I'm trying to do is learn to adapt on the fly more. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I it's, it's another one of those things I keep, as you say different things, I keep thinking oh yeah, that's an issue that I have in like my daily lineup, regular fantasy baseball leagues, but that would be so much more of a compounded issue in a DFS league. So I imagine having a player getting scratched for injury or sickness or bereavement or whatever it is, just all of a sudden, because a lot of times, you know, someone uh, goes on the paternity list, they have a kid all of a sudden, we don't know until like a few hours before the game, that messes everything up, not just for players, but for folks like you and your team who are writing about this stuff and making sure you have your articles out early enough that people can read them and make their picks. That's not ideal. <laughs> and also if a pitcher, if it happens to a pitcher, then you got to look at the hitters. Those, you know, if, uh, if, Jacob DeGrom gets scratched and the Mets are starting Jared Eikhoff instead. Well, uh, those hitters become a lot more enticing all of a sudden. Yeah. Especially because yeah, they're going to be really cheap because they're priced 
to face the Grom. Oh, the, the their prices wouldn't change. They usually come out like the day before, so if something happened after the prices came out, then it wouldn't change. Oh, yeah. Like so, there there is definitely opportunity to exploit. Know, yeah, like on based on news for sure. That is fascinating. Um, like even in football, that have been some times where like they put the lineups out on Monday, and then. Like on Monday Night Football, like a player has a huge game, but their price for the next week still isn't doesn't reflect that. Huh. Um, that is legitimately fascinating. Like there's I you keep saying new things that <laughs> I would not have considered before this conversation. Like I'm I'm legitimately interested in just the different levels of strategy that go along with this cuz it it is strategy wise completely different from yes. draft a team in march and aim to win the league in september completely different you're still obviously looking for good value in the best players and things like that but the way you're going about that and the way you are actually determining what is good value is a completely foreign concept to me basically so i am learning along with all of you who are listening is there is there any other thing that we haven't covered up to this point as far as the general differences in perhaps strategy or approach and things like that from your standard head-to-head uh season-long league versus hopping on and playing a day of dfs baseball so the way you construct the light up might be different. Like I realized in DFS, I'm more inclined to, you know, pay for that ace and then look for the values in hitting, which they're usually more likely to be because uh, you're typically on a standard day. You're lucky if you find like a dirt cheap pitcher that you feel decent about, but makes sense. You might find like basement priced hitters. Because if they're in a platoon or they've gotten hot over the past couple of days or they're just like a random bench guy inserted into the leadoff role for no reason, like stuff like that will materialize. Um, so yeah, also more of a stars and scrub approach where in season long, um, personally, I'm drafting for balance. Like I don't like having holes in my roster as much in a season long, but in a DFS, I might say, okay, well, I'm going to punt catcher today because that helps me get these outfielders I really like. And let's I imagine basically... that punting catcher every day is not the worst option. Yeah, it's it's pretty... It's, I mean, I guess it's something I do would do more of. It sounds like they're... If you have any experience in like a uh, salary cap auction-style uh, league then you might be able to make the transition to DFS a little smoother sure. where you're, you know, trying to determine how best to value certain players. Um, <clears throat> except the difference here is that everyone gets the same valuation and you just have to figure out what the best way to spend your dollars is compared to everyone else who's spending their dollars in a similar way, but slightly different. And if you're, and if you play in points leagues, that will also kind of help you 
Bridge so really, we just need to find a points salary cap league and then get everyone from there and see how they compare in their first time playing DFS to guys who have only ever done season-long Roto. Weirdly enough, those are the two season-long things that I'm not in that I should be. Like, <laughs> salary caps and points league, so I I should get on that. I mean... Yeah, that's exactly what you need to do, Andrew, is join another yeah, fantasy baseball Yeah, I need to get up to a good 13. I mean, Adam Howe, uh, my last guest, uh, I think he said he was in 15 leagues. I feel a little rough about being in five. So <laughs> you're I, normal. I, occasionally I worry about the mental wellness of some of our writers here who do like tons of leagues. Yeah, maybe that's well founded. My <laughs> concern. I understand that at a certain point, it's kind of your job, but also you're doing okay, yeah. buddy, sort of thing. <laughs> Can... Very good, very good. As I said at the top, we do want to devote a large portion of the podcast to answering your questions on the air. So if you have questions for me and my guests, you can send them directly to me on Twitter. I am at Bristowski, or better yet, I ask every week in the PL Plus Discord server what questions you may have. You can get on there at pitcherlist.com slash plus. We'd be happy to grade your trades, offer analysis on a player you're wondering about, or answer any other number of inquiries, baseball-related or otherwise. Speaking of the otherwise, Andrew, when I kind of got the intro questions so that people could know what kind of things to ask you about, you mentioned that you were a bit of a pizza snob and the New York-style pizza, and people really latched onto that. <laughs> that, that. That is... <laughs> A lot of the questions I got were pizza related. Uh, my good buddy, Dave Sherman wants to know what are your top three picks for New York city pizza places? So I should clarify my stats of that. <laughs> I would say like, I'm actually like the furthest thing from a, like any kind of food snob. And I was a really picky either. And to me, like growing up and living in New York and New Jersey for all my life, like I kind of just viewed pizza as pizza because like there's always like 20 places within a five minute radius of me and they're all just fine. So like I've never differentiated much, but then I see like things like deep dish and other regional pizza and I go, Oh, that's not, that's not real pizza. Like, so pizza's pizza, unless it's my type of pizza is, <laughs> um, I guess so. so my top three, um, Sparrow, Little Caesar, um, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're doing the Michael Scott gonna go yeah, grab, like a, I just, gonna grab a New York slice. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess the thing is, I moved from Brooklyn when I was 13. So like my pizza places were wherever my family took me or wherever I could walk to. But I would say L and B is number one. I remember going there on a fifth grade class trip and they had good Italian ices and it was very enjoyable. So uh yeah, L and B is number one. Um like two, I'm just gonna like say the pizza place that was like right by me that I walked to all the time and went to with family. And it was just a regular 
like run the mill local pizza place. I think his name was Enzo. That's because yeah, like you can't really go wrong with New York pizza to me. As someone who's never been to New York, I feel like the there's got to be just by the rule of you know how ranking works. There's got to be some places that are definitely better than others that are that are spectacularly good but at the same time yeah it's kind of well, a deep dish up pizza and i know that's going to be sacrilege to a lot of new yorkers and i can hear dave sherman and nick pollock so, yelling at me already like the thing like, that inspired this to me for me was like i have a friend who moved from new jersey to louisiana briefly for a year and he said over there there was no good pizza and if people wanted good pizza, they would go to Little Caesars. So to me, that's like, that sounds horrible. Oh, that that is sad. I'm very lucky that uh, I do have a New York style pizza place, a little joint here in uh, Greensboro. I I definitely agree on your take that deep dish. Yeah, it's hard to even call it pizza. And even if you do consider I, pizza, I, I don't like it. And that's coming from a guy who grew up, you know, two hours south of Chicago. So, yeah, deep dish has never been my favorite. It's mostly because I have a thing about stringy cheese. Not a fan of stringy cheese. Another tangentially related pizza question, again from Sherman here. Uh, do you support the now former Staten Island Yankees temporary name change to the Pizza Rats? So, as a Mets fan from Brooklyn, those. The former Staten Island Yankees were rivals to the Brooklyn Cyclones, the Mets affiliate in Coney Island, where I went to. And actually, I would say the pizza place that used to be right outside there, that could be number three on my list. Um, but I think it closed. But, um, Ooh. Yeah, I mean, how uncreative do you have to be for the New York Yankees to put a team in Staten Island and say, oh, what do we call it? Well, Yankees. So to change it to pizza rest, yeah, that's... Way better. There are no other pizza rats. And like, what two things are more synonymous with New York than pizza and rats? <laughs> so I'm, I'm grading it a 10. I, I'm a big fan of weird yeah. uh, minor league baseball team exactly. names. I think every minor league baseball team should either A, be alliterative with the city they're in, hmm. For example, my local team is the Greensboro Grasshoppers. That's just good. Yeah. Or B, just off the wall. Get yeah. weird. Like Exactly. The, another local team uh, in High Point, North Carolina, is the Rockers. Um, you might think that that would have to do with either Stones or rock and roll music. You're wrong. It is to do with rocking chairs because High Point is the furniture capital of the world. And so they've made their team mascot a rocking chair, which is hilarious. Miley team just you know, be, do something no one else has. Don't, yeah. don't just like say you're the Knights or the Wildcats. Like, Stay like weird, those... minor leagues. Yeah. Give me the, give me the cream puffs. <laughs> I got uh, Blue Claws here in the Jersey Shore. That's... I guess that's a good one. Fair enough. Yeah. I think I think uh, baseball in general could get away from using uh, colors. Take co color noun 
as team mm. name. I think we could do with a little less of that or just, you know, if you're Cincinnati color. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, is what it is as far as that goes. I think, but in general, give me more creative, uh, give me more creative minor league team names, pizza rats, a plus I'm here for it. I want it to be permanent. It's both a meme and it just works. I mean, I get- yeah, I gotta get a pizza right jersey, no? Honestly, I want a hat. Oh, yeah. All righty. Now, the last question we did have was from one of our PL Plus supporters. It goes by Hardball. Uh, he is wanting to know, what is your 2022 outlook for Baltimore prospect Grayson Rodriguez? In Do you think he is a uh, worthwhile late flyer in redraft leagues? So the older I get, the more boring a drafter I've become. <laughs> Like I've, like I said, I hit on Nelson Cruz before. Just like give me the boring, productive old guys. So I tend to not stash minor leaguers unless I really think either a they have like sky high upside or b are gonna come up soon. And I don't see Rodriguez coming up immediately. And while he could definitely be an impact arm when he does. By the time it happens, it could be like June, July, and I'm not waiting that long on a Baltimore Orioles pitcher. No offense to all our Orioles writers here. Um, I would also, I should clarify that I'm not the top prospect guy or even close on pitcher list, so there might be better people to ask this question to, but I'm probably not doing it unless A, your league has a lot of bench spots or some leagues now have non-active spots. Like if you can do that and stash him, then by all means do it. Or unless he pitches like so well in spring that there's talks of him cracking the rotation, then maybe I'm open to it. But right now, I'm probably finding some other like crusty old variant like Alex Cobb <laughs> or another young flyer like in a shallow league, um, Tristan McKenzie. Oscar, you know, uh, like guys like that. Fair enough. Now, one interesting facet to this conversation is the new anti-time manipulation rules that just came out in the new CBA. So I I don't fully understand these because they are a little complicated. But as far as I understand, if a team were to uh, promote their top prospect um, mid-season, there is just as likely a a chance that they will lose just as much playing t- or just as much service time as there would be if they brought them up at the beginning of the season. the The new CBA has rules in place that have incentivized teams to to bring up their top prospects sooner. Um, Grayson Rodriguez is the number two prospect for the Orioles after Rushman. Um, last season in double a, he was very good. Um, in 18 starts, that was 79 and two thirds innings, 121 strikeouts, 260 ERA, 087 whip. He was very good. Um, I don't know if he's legitimately ready for the big leagues. If if that was a hitter putting up those studly numbers, I would say there's a good shot we see them in April on 
a Baltimore team with these new CBA rules. Like I think Adley Rushman is going to be up before June and will get consistent playing time. Yeah. Pitchers are a little bit different though, where you, you need a bit more polish before you are really ready to go up against big league guys um, as a pitcher. I think again, I'm not the best prospect guy as far as that goes, but I did at least want to bring up the new CBA rules, which could really change how we think about, you know, stashing prospects in our fantasy leagues. Um, as we look at some of the top guys, um, I'm going to use this just to talk about prospects in general. As we look at some of the top guys in baseball going forward, top prospects, I think we see guys like Julio Rodriguez, Adley Rushman, Bobby Witt Jr., Spencer Torkelson. I think all four of them will probably be up before June with these new Mm -hmm. rules for this from the CBA. Jose Miranda could be another late pick. Interesting name to watch after those twins traits. He that could open a door for playing time. So maybe that's the kind of guy I would target late instead. Because I'm I'm usually not as big on stassing pitchers. I am very in on Jose Miranda. Uh, if you guys haven't checked him out, I recently traded for him in my dynasty league and then drafted him in the new dynasty league I was in. <laughs> so I, he is very interesting to me. He seems to be flying under the radar for a lot of, uh, for a lot of the dynasty talk, but last season was spectacular for him between double A AA and triple A. Uh, he hit uh, 30 home runs, which is great hit uh 343 with about a 400 on base so it's not bad not bad but so he was dominating triple a 17 homers in 80 games and like i said now with donaldson out of the picture miranda does slot in more naturally as a third baseman Uh, i could see that uh, being a legitimate path for him he's he's never been a fielder uh, not he's not a very good fielder, but I mean the Twins have played Miguel Sano before at first base. Mm-hmm. I think they played him at third base before. Yeah, they so, might play him at first now. Yeah, I mean, let me go look at what uh, the this Cream. this Grayson Rodriguez question has quickly turned into a yeah, Jose, uh, Mar- Jose Miranda response. As of right now, yeah, uh, Sano is supposed to be the first baseman, and uh, Alex Kirilov is slotted in at DH. I did forget that Gio Urshela went back to Minnesota in that deal. So the Twins still have a a third baseman, and a pretty good one at that. Or it could be shortstop, uh, but yeah, probably third base. Well, they got got Jorge Polanco for shortstop, who's their best player pretty unequivocally at this point, until... You know, Might Byron be, Buxton can stay healthy. He could be second, though. It, I don't know. They have a lot of things flying. Yeah, out, there's a lot. Their infield is very I, much in flux between Luisa Rise. Uh, Polanco is going to get consistent playing time. He was fantastic last year and probably will be again this year. Uh, Miguel Sano is should be a DH. Alex Kirilov probably yeah. should be a DH. <laughs> uh, Gio Urshela has an argument to be a DH. None of those three are very good fielders. 
Uh, but their outfield's also kind of got a bit of a long jam. Um, Buxton obviously is going to be in there until he gets injured. Um, Max Kepler is going to get his playing time. Trevor Larnock is currently slotted in as a uh, as their left fielder, though uh, Roster Resource has Jose Miranda as the other end of that platoon. So there's a good chance Miranda could be one of those guys that actually does break camp. Um, it, that, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think, I think this is def, he's definitely the type of guy that if he impresses in spring, he could find himself in more playing time. Keep an eye on that, folks. That's my there's my uh, sleeper for 22 is Jose Miranda. That was a very long and tangential <laughs> way to say. Grayson Rodriguez probably won't break camp, but the new CBA rules have kind of changed how we should think about these things. So perhaps he'll come up sooner than we expect. I think, I think Grayson Rodriguez will be a significant piece of the Baltimore Orioles rotation in 2022. I do think that will happen. It just might not be till June or July. Yeah. And I'm looking, uh, his NFBC ADP in this month is 464, so it doesn't look like many drafters are anticipating him and to make an impact immediately. And at that point, that doesn't really seem to make him viable in your standard like 12-team mixed league unless you you know have really big rosters. That's fair. Yeah, if you, if you don't have... If you don't have a deep league or a larger roster size, Rodriguez is not the guy that I would be going after. For example, Jose Miranda is going <laughs> at 419. <laughs> so there is your Jose Miranda answer for the Grayson Rodriguez question. And that's going to do it for us. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Any closing thoughts for us? Anything you are working on recently and you want to plug? Um. No, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I honestly haven't been ready as much lately for Pitcherless or really any fantasy because I've you know started a new job, uh, a different full time sports writing job outside of fantasy. So congratulations! I've been thank you. A bit diverted, but yeah, that's excited that we're actually going to have a season. Oh, it is the best news. Yeah. I mean, I would take. No Freddie Freeman, but still having baseball over. We signed Freddie, but there's no 2022 season. That this, yeah, this is very exciting that we are getting a full season of baseball. It's just very, very good. Now, one more time, where can the people find you on Twitter? At Andrew Gould, G O U L D 4. I honestly don't tweet as much, but every once in a while, I'll tweet some stuff. stupid sarcastic joke well thank you all so much for listening Andrew thank you for coming on and this has been On The List (laughs) 